0: Brothers and sisters, visitors, those following on live stream, welcome to our worship service this morning. Our prayer is that we may all be comforted and encouraged through the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may God be glorified by our worship today. Consistory has the following announcements: We have been informed that candidate Anson Van Delden has accepted the call extended to him by the Free Reformed Church. Of Lugana. This morning's worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. And before we commence, let us sing from Psalm 148, verse 4. Please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing of the the praise of our God, Psalm 92, the verses 1 and 3. the great gifts that God has given us is that he has taught us how to live in a right relationship with him, how to order our lives rightly so that we rest under his blessing. And one of the places he's done that is in the Ten Commandments, which he gave to the Israelites when he met with them at Mount Sinai, about about 4,000 years ago. Let's listen to the words of God's law as it comes to us this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, Or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long, that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, Or anything that is your neighbor's. It's in the next chapter that the Lord teaches his people about how to continue in a covenant relationship with him, and he emphasizes the most important thing. It is in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, he continues Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might let's sing to God, let's confess to him that we have not always kept these commandments. Let's also make a confession of the, the trust that we have that, that he will show grace and forgiveness to us. Psalm 19, the verses 5 and 6. Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, once again on this Sunday morning, we come before you, Lord. We honor you, that you are the creator of this world. You're the one who made this earth and you made it into a beautiful place for us to live and for us to have fellowship with you. We want to praise you that you're the one who upholds this world. That day after day, year after year, you look after this creation, you uphold all the universe with your hand. You're the one who, who sends sunshine and rain. You're the one who, who gives us health and strength. You're the one who, who has the, the, stars and the, or, the stars and the planets in orbit. And you're the one who, who directs all the weather and holds everything in His power. Father, we stand in awe of you, we glorify in you, we praise you. And we also want to honor you that, that you're a God who desires relationship. You're a God who seeks to, to know us. You made us so that we can have a relationship with you. And we acknowledge, Lord, that this is the, the best life we could ever live. If we know you, if we love you, if we worship you, then we're living a really beautiful life. A, a life that rests under your grace and blessing. And Father, we, we have to acknowledge this morning that sometimes we don't do that. Sometimes we forget about you, that we do our own thing. We want to pursue our own interests. And at times, Lord, that leads us in, in really terrible places. As we forget about you and as we go our own way, then you, you allow us to experience something of the, the emptiness and the meaninglessness of a life apart from you. Lord, thank you that you also call us back. And thank you that you're willing to forgive us for our sins. When you met with your people on Mount Sinai, then then you also revealed your character to them. You told us that you are the Lord, the Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that you keep steadfast love for thousands, and that you're willing to forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. But at the same time, Lord, you also warn us that you will not allow the guilty to go unpunished, that you'll visit the iniquity of the Father upon their children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so, Lord, we come to you and we humble ourselves and we repent of our sin. And we confess it to you. We ask for your grace and forgiveness. We are sorry that we don't always worship you. But we're sorry that we sin against the people around us. And we plead with you that for Jesus' sake, that you would forgive us and that you would carry on with us in your steadfast love and mercy. Lord, this morning we're hoping to open your word and to consider what you've done for us, and we pray for your blessing upon that. Grant that we may be built up, that we understand what a great God you are, what a beautiful life it is to know you and love you, and help us to flee from sin. Please work in our hearts with your Holy Spirit, and please do this. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So, this week, brothers and sisters, we decided to have a Ward Bible study once again. We do that four times a year. This is the third one. And the the topic for the Ward Bible study is You Shall Have No Other Gods Before Me. And so, this morning, I'd like to preach to you about Romans 1, the verses 18 to 32. And I'd like to put that into context. So, we're going to read just a few verses before that, and we're going to read about 10 or 15 verses after that. So, we're going to start reading at Romans 1, verse 16. And then we're going to read the text as well, and then we're going to finish off at Romans 2, verse 11. So I invite you to open your Bible to Romans 1. You can find that on page 1114 of your guest Bible. Sorry, 1116. So we'll read together Romans 1, starting at verse 16. There God's word says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And then starts our text. haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And that's where the text ends, but we're going to keep reading. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because your heart an impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So far the reading of God's word. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 115. It's quite a striking psalm. In this psalm, the Lord calls us to worship him alone. And he shows us what happens if you worship false gods. The gods are nothing, and if you worship them, then you become like them. So Psalm 115, the verses 1, 2, 4, and 5. So the text for the sermon is taken from the passage read together from Romans 1, the verses 18 to 32. Then, after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from Psalm 81, the verses 1, 9, 10, and 11. Dear brothers and sisters, his congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord our God is the great and awesome God. He's the creator of this world. He called you into existence, and he's the one who, who has power over your life. And it's God's intention to, to live in a relationship with you. He made you for a relationship, and the greatest relationship that he wishes for you is that you have relationship with him. If you know God, if you live with him, if you love him, if you serve him, then you're going to have the best life ever. Since the Lord is such an awesome God, he calls us in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. He says, I want you to put me in the center of life. But you know, there is there's human nature... And it is our nature to be distracted by all sorts of other things. There's a a reformer that lived back in the 1600s. His name was John Calvin. And he spoke about the human heart as an idol factory. It is our nature to create idols. We love certain things. And whatever we love, we tend to put those things in the center of our lives. And usually, it's ourself. It's our comfort, our pleasure, our entertainment, our reputation. We like putting wealth in the center of our life. Nice things, sports, or food, or drink. And we think the good life is the life where we pursue these things. We have all these things that we want. Well, in the end, you can do that. But it always ends in tears. And the reason for that is because God tells us that we are made for more than that. We were made for him. The only way to have a rich life, a full life, is if you know him. And if you put him in the center of life. And if you refuse to do that, if you insist on pursuing whatever you want, if you serve yourself and pursue the things that give you pleasure then in the end what God's going to do is he's going to give you over to that. He's going to warn you, say don't do that. But if you insist, he's going to say, okay, then you can have that. And if he gives you over to it, then what happens is it first leads to, to emptiness. And over time, it starts leading to pain. And eventually, it leads to serious dysfunction. It leads to a world of pain. Well, your father, he made you for something better than, than pursuing these false gods. And so he calls you, and he says, you shall have no other gods before me. And at core, the reason Paul tells us this is because he's showing us that we all need the gospel. We all need Jesus Christ to do for us what we, can, what we fail to do for ourselves. And that's what he's working out in, in the first part of this book. He shows us that we're all sinners, and we all need grace, and we all need help to put God in the center of life. And so I preached God's word to you this morning with this theme, God's wrath comes down on those who reject him. We're going to see in the first place the reason for God's wrath, and then secondly, the expression of God's wrath. So first, the reason. Our text starts in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the problem is ungodliness and unrighteousness. The word for ungodly literally means without the worship of God. And the word for unrighteousness means not to be righteous, not to be rightly ordered, If you are righteous, then you're in a right relationship with the people around you, and you're especially in a right relationship with God. But because some people don't worship God, and because their lives are not rightly ordered in a relationship with God, the Bible says God's wrath is being expressed. And the core problem, it says here, is that there are some people who suppress the truth. It says that by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. Really, what it's saying here is it's saying that everybody can know God. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter what your circumstances are, you can all know God. But there are many people who reject Him. They don't want to know Him, and they don't want to have a relationship with Him. You know, it's possible that you, that you wonder about that. Is it really true that, that everyone can know about God? You know, what about some tribe? In the Amazon jungle in Brazil, they've never heard the gospel. Or you don't even have to go that far away. What about some, some young man who's growing up in Perth, whose parents are not believers, they never, they never told him about God, he goes to school, he never hears about God, he never hears the Bible, he, you know, in all the media and everything that he uses, he never comes in contact with God. Can you really say that everyone knows God? Paul says, you can, because God reveals himself in creation. He says, verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that are made, that have been made. So they are without excuse. So Paul's saying, look around you. Anybody who looks around you, you can see the glory and the majesty of God in creation. I'm not sure if you've, if you've seen the latest images. You have the James Webb um, Telescope, the brand new telescope. They got some images, front page news a couple of weeks ago. Gorgeous pictures. They've seen things in, out in space that they've never seen before. And it's just beautiful. It attests to the glory and the majesty of God. Or if you think of, of the rest of God's creation, think of the, the beauty of a sunset. You go out to the beach and you watch the sunset. Or maybe you go into the big trees. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the, uh, the King Jarrah, the Lane Pool Reserve. It's one of my favorite trees. It's this giant. It's 250 years old. And it's a giant. And all the other, the great big eucalyptus trees, they're like little children standing around this giant. Well, it's majestic. And it shows the glory of God. Or if you study biology, or if you study chemi- chemistry, biochem, microbiology, then you see the complexity that God has put into his creation. And it, it just really attests to the glory and to the majesty of God. And it's not only that, if you, if you go to the next chapter, we read to from a little bit from Romans 2 here. We didn't. We finished off at verse eleven, but actually, if you go on at verses fourteen and fifteen, there, and it talks about how God has imprinted his, heart, his law on everyone's heart. It says that everybody can know God. Doesn't matter who you are, because in your heart, you know the difference between right and wrong. His law has been written on your hearts, and so every person in the world they know that stealing's wrong, that cheating's wrong. They know they shouldn't commit adultery. Nobody has to teach them those things. That's something that God has imprinted in people's hearts. And also back in the the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, there it talks about how the Lord says to his people, he says, if you obey my laws, he says that you're going to become really beautiful people. And everybody else is going to look at you and they're going to see that you're a really beautiful people and that you have a great God who's given you wonderful laws. Well, that's what, that's what happens in our world. You know, everybody can look around at creation. Everybody has the law of God written on their hearts. There are many people, they meet other Christians, and they see what it looks like to live a Christian life. And so what Paul's saying here in Romans 1, he's saying, there's nobody who's without excuse. There's nobody who's going to stand before the judgment seat of God at the last day and who's going to say to God, God, I couldn't have known you. I didn't know anything about you. Because God's going to say to them, I've given you testimony of myself. You know, the real truth is that we all have parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or great-great-great-great-grandparents who at one time did know God. And some of them rejected God. And that's part of the reason why today we don't grow up with the knowledge of God. In the end, the sad reality is that even though God reveals himself, there are many people who don't want to know him. They suppress the truth, and they reject him. And the next verse is the Holy Spirit tells us where that leads. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. God saying, you're made for him. You're made to love him, to have a relationship with him, to know him and to live for him. And if you don't do that... Then he says in the end, he says that you become futile in your thinking and that your foolish heart is darkened. To become futile literally means that you're given over to senseless and foolish speculation. It means you start wasting your time on all such useless things. If your heart is darkened, then... You pursue foolish things. You end up giving priority to things in your life that are really meaningless, that are really empty, that lead to no end of suffering. The next verse is they, they develop the thought. It says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Well, there's some people who think they're so wise. They think they know so much, but God says they're fools. They don't know nothing. The word for foolish here actually means to be devoid of meaning. It means that you give yourself over to nonsense. If you don't live for God, then you build your life around foolish and meaningless things. Well, you know that happened back in the Old Testament. We read these stories of of some people, they worshiped the Baal, or they worshiped Asherah. And it often happened that God's people, they they went along with the nations around them and they did that. Or some people, they worshiped the sun. Or during the time when Paul was writing this, there's a lot of people, they had this little shrine in their house. They would take this little corner of their house, they'd set up a shrine, and they'd worship Zeus, or they'd worship Artemis. So they had these little images, that they would bow down to. And literally, they would worship these images. They were worshiping these dead, dumb, lifeless images. You know, we look back at that and we think, man, so dumb. Who would do something so dumb? But you know what they were worshiping when they were worshiping Baal? It was money. Baal was the one who blessed your crops and herds, who gave you fertility. Well, they worshiped Their health. Or they're worshiping things that would give them security. And if you think about that, then you realize that we're no different. What do people put at the center of their life? They put money. They want a lot of money. They want to build a nice house. They want to live a life where they have lots of money. They can do what they want and go where they want. Or we put security in the center of our life. We want to be safe. We want to be secure. We want to make sure that. That we have insurance, or that we have a government, or that we have a defense force that's going to keep us safe and secure. Or we put other things in the center of our life. Well, at the end, Paul's saying, these things are meaningless. These things are empty. These things are nothing. It's no different from the ancients. We're just saying together from Psalm 115, if you worship those things, then in the end, God says you become like those things. That's always the way it worship. It happens with worship. Whatever you worship is what you become. Whatever you worship is what you value. That's what you love, and that's who you are. Five, ten, fifteen years down the track, if this is what you worship, this is what you become. On well, Psalm 115, the Lord spells it out, He says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound with their throats. All who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. Well, God's saying those idols are nothing. If you worship them, if you trust in them, then you become nothing like them. They're mute. They're deaf. They're lifeless. Well, eventually, that's what happens to you. You become mute. You become deaf. You become lifeless. In your real life, if you start valuing things that are empty and meaningless and a waste of time, it's a really dumb thing to do. You reject God, and what are you left with, brothers and sisters? The Eagles or the Dockers? Or a nice house? Comfort, pleasure, entertainment, box office seats, travel around the world? Do they satisfy? Is it a rich life? When you look back, will you say, that was a life well lived? You know what happens if you go down that road? It doesn't end off with a life where you bask in money and pleasure and security. But it ends off in a life of pain and suffering. If you reject God, then what takes center save of your life is you. Your comfort, your pleasure, your desires. Paul tells us how God deals with you in verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever praised. You put something else in the middle of your life, and in the end God says he will give you up to your lusts. And it will lead to impurity. Impurity and to the dishonoring of your body. Well, in the Old Testament, this word for impurity, it used to refer to ritual impurity. If you were ritually impure, then you were unclean, and you couldn't come into the presence of God. You couldn't meet with God. Well, in the New Testament, the nuance this word changes slightly. It's used predominantly in a sexual context. If you're given over to impurity, it means you're given over to sexual sin. If you reject God that most people end up living a life of sinning sexually. And it makes sense. You put yourself in the center of life and what do you want more than anything else? You want pleasure. And where do you find pleasure more than anywhere else? Often in sexuality. And so you end up committing all sorts of sexual immorality. Your father doesn't want that for you, brothers and sisters. He made you for life. For relationship with Him, He made you for a life where you know Him and you love Him, and He says that's by far the best life ever. If you put Me in the center of life, if you pursue Me, if you know Me, then in the end it leads to blessing, leads to a rich life and a full life. He says you don't want to serve your pleasures; you want to live that kind of a lifestyle. You know, we heard that in the previous weeks. If you go back. Earlier in this chapter and the previous chapters, the Lord warned us against all these things. He warns us against sexual sin. He warns us against drunkenness. He warns us against slander and gossiping, against stealing and living in conflict with those around you. He doesn't make you do it, He doesn't force you to to believe in Him and to serve Him. But He has promised to forgive your sins, He's promised to help you live this kind of a lifestyle. He says, if you look to me, if you rely upon me, he says, I'll live in your heart with my Holy Spirit and I'll recreate you to be like Jesus Christ and I'll equip you to know me and to love me and to put me in the center of your life. But if you don't want that, if you don't want to listen, if you just want to do what you want to do, then God says in the end, he says, I'll give you over to that. If that's what you want, then that's what you got. If you want to love money, you want to get rich, if you want to be the center of attention, if you like going out with your friends drinking, or if you like flirting or fooling around, if you like viewing pornography or engaging in sexual sin, then the Lord says, I'll give you over to that. Then you get to have that. He says, don't do it. He says again and again and again, he says, don't do it. But if you insist... Then the Lord says, okay, you can have what you want. You get it. In the end, the phrase that's used three times in our text is that it says, God gave them over. It's in verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28. God gave them over to impurity. He gave them over to dishonorable passions, and he gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. You reject God, you exchange the truth of God for a lie, you suppress the truth about God, then in the end, God says, okay, you don't have to have me. You can have your own life, you can live your own life, and you can do your own thing. What Paul's saying here in this, in the next verses, you start reading chapter two, he says, I'm not only talking to, to the Jews, or sorry, about the Gentiles, it's not only about the Gentiles, he's saying this is also for the Jews. He's saying this is for the covenant community. And he says, God's been very patient with you. For a very long time, he's waited with you. He's warned you again and again and again. And then Paul says, do you think that God's patience and his forbearance, he says, does, does that, is that meaningless? Do you take advantage of that? But he says, you must change, because otherwise you will be given over. And then you'll start to reap The fruit, the consequence of the life that you live. It's in Proverbs 29, verse 1. There the Lord talks about it. He says, A man who remains stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. We're going to sing about it in Psalm 81. The people are stubborn. The Lord warns them. But they don't want to listen. They're stubborn. They want to commit their sins. They want to do what they want to do. And the yet the Lord says, Then I give it over to you. Then I give you over to it. Then you get to have what you want. And you'll notice there's a progression in the judgments. First it says here that God gives people over to impurity in verse 24. And then in verse 26 it continues, it says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And, like, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. You want to live a life where you put yourself in the center? Then I'm going to give you over to that. It's going to lead, in the first place, to sexual sin, and it's also going to lead to homosexuality. Both men and women will be consumed with lust for people of the same sex. It's quite striking to notice the language that God uses here when he describes his brothers and sisters. In the first place, he says he gives people over to dishonorable passions. And he explains that by saying that the women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. God's saying here that homosexual relationships are dishonorable and they are contrary to nature. We never read about that in your newspaper. Your uni prof, he's never going to say something like that. The Lord's very honest with us here. He's saying if you engage in homosexual relations, he's saying here, that's not the way he intended it. When he created Adam, and Adam needed a helper, then he gave her Eve. He gave him Eve. And he instituted marriage as a union between Adam and Eve. Right at the very beginning, he said, this is the way it's supposed to be. And now he's saying, if you reject me, if you don't want to follow me, if you suppress the truth about me, if you want to follow a life where you seek your own passions, so you live for your own desires, then this is where I'll give it, give you over to. What's really quite striking, God says, is contrary to nature. It's quite striking in our society. Our society says we should accept homosexuality, we should endorse it as an alternative lifestyle. It's completely natural to those who are involved in it. Deep in the core of their being, these people, they, they have an attraction to someone of the same sex. And so they should be allowed to pursue what they want to pursue. I'm sure that for many people who, who have these attractions, that it is very natural That in the core of their being, this is what they they feel, and this is what they want. Yet the Lord says, it is contrary to nature. He says it is unnatural. That's not the way he designed it. The Lord is a creator. He's the one who made this world. And he says, I know what a righteous life looks like, and I'm teaching you what a righteous life looks like. And he does that for every area of life. And he also does that for sexuality. And with regards to sexuality, he says the natural thing is that a man and a woman love one another and that they be together. That's the way he created us, and that's his intention for us. That's also what he will bless when we pursue that. It's actually very clear elsewhere in the Bible what the Lord thinks about homosexuality. He goes to Leviticus 18, it's in verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11 there, lists a whole bunch of people, talks about drunkards, about swindlers, talks about thieves and adulterers. These are all people who won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. And Alongside of that, it also includes those people who are homosexuals. But then the point of our text here, brothers and sisters, is it's not so much that God is saying you shouldn't commit homosexuality, The point of our text is that God is saying here, this is the origin of homosexuality. Why do some people become homosexuals? Well, God says it's because at core, they've rejected him. They don't know him. They don't love him. They don't pursue a relationship with him. If you give sin, the sin of idolatry, a place in your life that it ends up in chaos... And one of the ways that it ends up in chaos is that you're given over to these desires that are contrary to nature. And in the end, in verse 27, it says that men committed shameless acts with men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. You kind of read that over, you wonder to yourself, what does it mean, the due penalty for their error? Is that referring to like, to the AIDS epidemic in the 80s and 90s? It was first... A disease that was communicated among gay men it was actually called gay-related immunodeficiency, GRID. Until the homosexual community said, "No, no, no, that's you can't say that," and then it was called AIDS, autoimmune deficiency syndrome. We have a similar thing these days. This new disease, last couple of months, last couple of weeks, it hit the news. It's called monkeypox. Well, monkeypox is almost exclusively transmitted among homosexual men. And they wonder, is is this the due penalty for their error? Well, it could be. You know, certainly these are serious illnesses that compromises the health of of many people. But you know, it's far more than that. When you sin against God, then it doesn't just have an impact on your health, your strength has well, an impact on every area of life. Then you lose meaning and purpose. Your whole life is out of kilter. You lose peace and joy. You lose a perspective on justice and righteousness and what's right and wrong. If you reject God, then eventually the foundations are destroyed. Then you don't know what love and what righteousness are really all about. And that's what God talks about in the last verses. Here in Romans 1, verse 28 and following. He says that since people did not want to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. The word for debased here, literally it means substandard. Some people are given a substandard mind. In the Roman world, this, this word was used for counterfeit money. They didn't have a mint that printed out coins, that every coin is identical and the same, but they handmade coins. And they had some coins that were counterfeit. They were lightweight. or They weren't the right material. They weren't made of silver. And so some people tried to cheat with the coins. Well, it, was, it was substandard. It was debased. And now God doesn't apply this to coins, but he applies this to a person's mind. If you don't know God, if you don't love God, if you don't serve God, that your mind becomes debased. It becomes some standard. It's counterfeit. It's It's lightweight. It's useless. And in the end, it leads to all manner of destruction. Paul shows what ends up happening, the terrible life that people get into if they reject God. He says, you lose your moral compass. You give your life over to sin, and you're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. I don't know if you have any friends who are evil or who live in malice. They're usually not nice people to be around. You don't usually have many friends who give themselves over to malice. Even if you have a friend who's covetous, it'd be really hard to be around a person who's covetous Because it's never enough. He's always dissatisfied. Always wants more. Always wants better. Always wants different. Where Paul goes on, he talks about some people, he talks about envy here. He talks about murder. Talks about strife. Some people, they get in fights. And it leads to murder. They're envious of others. Well, there's some people who are full of deceit, of maliciousness, of gossiping, and slandering. These are people who, in their speech, they destroy others. They gossip about others. They slander others. They lie to others. They're malicious in the things that they say to others. Well, that's what happens if you reject God. The Lord gives you over to a debased mind to do things that ought not to be done, and in the end, it leads to this painful, brutal existence. We are isolated and estranged from everybody else around you. talks here about you being a hater of God, being insolent and haughty and boastful. These are all people who are super proud. They know better. They know better than God. They know better than the people around them. And they're always boasting and they always know what's best. If you try to be friends with someone who's really proud, it never lasts really long because that kind of a person they're always looking down on you. They're always going to tell you what to do. They're always defensive. They're always controlling. Again, that's that's what happens when God gives you over to the base mind. You know, Paul talks here about being disobedient to parents. On well, the Roman world, that was a very serious matter. The father he was the familial potestas. He had the power over the household. The father even had the authority, legally, to put a child to death. Hardly ever happened. If you did it, then you're really frowned on. But legally, it was permitted, because the father had authority in the household. Well, then you have people who are disobedient to authority. That was a very serious charge in Roman times. There's some people who are foolish. There's some people who are... Who are heartless, who are ruthless. If you're heartless, you have no compassion for the people around you. If you're ruthless, you act in your own interests. You do whatever it takes to make sure it goes good for you, and many times that includes deliberately inflicting pain and misery on other people. But you know how terrible it is to have just one of these traits, brothers and sisters. And now God says here, he says these people are filled with that. You reject God. You live your own life. You put your own idols in the center of your life. And God warns you and warns you and warns you again. And he says don't do that because that will not lead to blessing. But if you insist... And if you keep doing it, in the end, God says, then I'll give you over to it. Then you'll experience the destruction that comes from a life lived apart from me. In the end, these people not only do them, Paul says, they also encourage others to do the same. Well, idolatry is brutal, brothers and sisters. The Lord made you for Him. He made you for a relationship with Him, that you know Him, that you love Him, that you live with Him. At first it seems fun. seems interesting and pleasurable to pursue whatever it is you like. It never stops there. Idolatry leads to addictions. It leads to enslavement. It leads to estranging yourself from all the people around you the people who know you and love you. It destroys your relationship with the people around you, and it destroys your relationship with God. It was the foundational sin that the Lord kept talking about in the Old Testament. He mentioned the other things. He talked about murder and stealing and oppression and injustice. But the core was always idolatry. He warned his people against idolatry. You shall not worship the Baals. You shall not follow the Asherah. You shall not be like the nations around you. You shall not have fellowship with those people. They will lead you into this idolatry and into the pain and the misery and the eternal suffering that goes along with it. Those things will never satisfy. It's pretty confronting when you hear it, brothers and sisters. How often doesn't it happen to us that we're slack in the worship of God? You know, instead of rejoicing to come to church on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon, instead of enjoying making a priority of doing Bible study, of reading the Word, having personal devotions where you spend time in relationship with God and where you pursue that relationship, where you spend time with the people of God and you encourage each other in knowing God and worshiping God, And many times we're slack in that. And we think... We have better things to do with her time. We have a better life to live. Your father loves you. He made you for a relationship with him. He knows you. He created you to have the fellowship. That's the great life. That's the rich life. That's the life where you're filled with energy, with passion, with abundance, with joy, with vitality, with love, with blessing he wants to give that to you. And so now he confronts us with this this morning. He doesn't expect you to put it together. He doesn't expect you to figure it out on your own. The whole point of Romans 1, 2, 3 is that he's saying you're a sinner. You don't do it on your own. You always make a mess of it. But you can be justified. You can be forgiven for your sins. You can be in a right relationship with me. The whole point of Romans is that God's saying, I sent my son to do it for you. There's only one way to be restored in the relationship, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. You must believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You must look to him in faith. You must expect your help from him. Because he did it. He loved God. He served God. He didn't let anything else get in the way. It wasn't about money. It wasn't about power, it wasn't about glory, it wasn't about honor. He rejected all those things because he wanted to do his Father's will. He, he valued the relationship with God above all things. And he trusted his Father above anything. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. And so he calls us to faith in the Lord Jesus, brothers and sisters. That's what this is all about. He shows you your sin so that you may repent repent. That you be honest about it. That you confess your sins to him. That you tell him that you have gone astray. And that you renounce those things. That you leave it behind. No more. No more of that. You turn away from your sin. And you seek the face of your father. And when you do that, then you will be blessed by him. That you will live the very best life that you can ever live. Let's ask him. For great faith in our Lord Jesus, let's trust our Savior, and let's live for him. Amen. Let's sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing from Psalm 81. And I have listed on the liturgy sheet there that we sing the verses 1, 9, 10, 11. I'd also like to sing verse 14, if that's possible. So we'll sing five verses, the verses 1, 9, 10, 11, and 14. Thank you. Amen. Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. There's a number of members of our congregation we're going to remember specifically in prayer this morning. In the first place, we'll remember the Harima family who buried their, their mother. We'll ask God to comfort them during this time. also remember young Kobe Visser. That's the, uh, the youngest son of Martin and Christy Visser. Um, he had broncholitis, um, so he was hospitalized. He was dehydrated as well last night. So they're just keeping him in the hospital for now. So we'll pray that, that he can get better again. A couple of members who are looking forward to surgery are Brother Mahoney. He has cataract surgery later this week. Brother also has a bit of Bell's palsy, so we'll ask God to, uh, to relieve him from that. We also have Brother Verbruch, the Lord willing, this coming Wednesday. He is scheduled for hip replacement surgery, Surgery, so we'll pray that God will bless that for him as well. And we'll also remember some of the others who are struggling with various other health concerns. Let's pray to God. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you are the almighty God and that you have revealed yourself to us. We honor you, that you're the creator of this world, that you're the God of truth and justice, that you're the God of, of love and faithfulness, that you're the God of mercy and compassion, you're the God who, who created all things and who upholds all things, who has everything in his power. Knowing you and living with you is is the best life we can ever have. We thank you that you reveal yourself to us. We thank you, Lord, that you desire to have relationship with us. We confess to you, Father, that we are sinners. We are those who who often exchange your glory and your worship for the worship of created things. Sometimes we put ourselves in the center of our life, our comfort, our pleasure, our entertainment. Sometimes we put money in the center of life. We want a lot of money for what it'll do for us sometimes we we put health and security in the center of our life sometimes we allow all sorts of other things to to take over precedence and that we we seek these things instead of you father we're sinners and we confess that to you we pray for your grace and forgiveness And at times, Lord, you you allow the consequences of our sin to to manifest themselves in our lives. At times we pursue our pleasures, but instead of giving us joy, it leads to pain, it leads to suffering. Sometimes we have strife with the people around us. Sometimes we become proud, we become selfish, and that leads to no end of distress. Sometimes, Father, we become disobedient to our parents or to others in authority over us. Sometimes we become pretty heartless to others. We only care about ourselves and we really have no compassion for the people around us. Sometimes we commit sexual sin. We allow ourselves to view pornography or we engage in sexual sin with other people. There may also be some among us here this morning who, who have homosexual desires or who act on that. Lord, we, we humble ourselves before you. We realize that these things are the consequence of our sins. We plead with you, Lord that you would forgive us for our sin, that you not give us over to sin, but that we're able to flee from it, that we can be set free from that. Father, you are the one who needs to do it for us. We believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we trust him to help us. And we ask that you would please accept his righteousness in our behalf, and that you make us into new people. Sometimes it means a pretty big U-turn in our life. It means that there's things that we used to do that we need to flee from. We pray, Father, that, that for the sake of your Son, that you would do that for us, that you set us free, and that you, you rescue us, and that you bring us into intimate fellowship together with you. We thank you, Lord, that you're always willing to forgive. That is your nature. And we thank you also that, that you will help us when we call upon you. You'll make it happen. Sometimes it seems impossible, but it's not impossible. This is your work. It's your joy. It's your glory. You recreate sinners into the image of your Son. You make us into new people, and you bless us in life. And you do it for us because we can't do it for ourselves. We pray then, Lord, that we may pursue this life, that we put you in the center of our lives, that we seek to get to know you. So the more we know you, the more we will pursue you, because we'll see your glory and honor. And the more we know you, the more we'll value the kind of things that you do. and We'll become like you. And that, in the end, will lead to, to profound blessing. Father, thank you for teaching us these things. And thank you for promising to help us. And thank you for sending your son to do it for us. And thank you for giving faith in the Lord Jesus that we trust him. Help us and make a difference for us. We also pray, Lord, that you would help us with the, the consequences of sin. Sometimes we face broken relationships. Sometimes we face a life where it feels pretty hollow and empty feels pretty meaningless. Sometimes we face a lot of pain, and we experience that pain. And Sometimes, Lord, we also we face the other effects and consequences of sin. We live in a world that's broken, and because of that, that affects us as well. I want to bring before you some members of our church who, who struggle with various health concerns. Lord, we, we thank you that you are the healer of your people, that you love to help us. We pray that you do that for these people, Think of a young Kobe Visser. We ask, the Lord, that, that he can become rehydrated, that, that he can breathe well, and that his lungs are cleared, and that it goes well with him. We also bring before you our brother and sister Verbruch. We ask that you be with her brother, that he can get a new hip this coming week. We pray for a blessing over the work of the doctors. We pray that you would comfort them, that they may trust in you, and that they're secure in your, your care for them. We also pray for Brother Mahoney, who needs cataract surgery in his eye, we ask that you would please bless the work of the doctors as well, so that he's able to, to receive his sight back again, that it may go well with him. Lord Jesus, you often did that. You are the one who restored the sight of your people. And we pray that you would do this for our brother as well. And we also pray, Father, that you please comfort those who are grieving loss. I think especially of our brother and sister Des and Sharon Harriman, and also Craig and Rose Vandenberg, who are grieving the loss of their mother. Lord, please be near to them. Please comfort them with the promises of the gospel. And Please do the same for others in our congregation who are grieving the loss of loved ones. Thank you for the promise of the gospel, of the resurrection of life, of the eternal life that's in store for us. We pray that you help us to live with a view to the eternal future that's coming. I also want to ask you, Father, that you please would take care of, of the others in our church who need you in special ways. Think of our sister Sue Bonker, this past week, our sister could celebrate her birthday once again. Please be a father to her, Lord. Be near to her and comfort her. Please help her in her old age. Sometimes she's forgetful. Please grant her your love and care and be near to her. And also look after her husband. We ask that you would help him and that you would comfort him and, and be a father to him as he walks alongside a life with his wife in the deterioration that she faces. Please be a father to them and... And be, be near with them with your Holy Spirit. And we also pray for our brother Hank Plug. We're grateful, Lord, that it's a time of stability for our brother. At the same time, there's always a mountain of medical appointments that he has to face. And there's, there's no end of, of distress that he faces. And There are times where he has significant headaches. And, and there is also living with the reality that one day he, he could have a stroke and he could pass away. And then we pray, Father, that you would please be near to him. Thank you for the grace that you show and thank you for the love that you've given to them. Thank you for the time that they may have together. Be near to our brother and sister and to their family and please surround them with your love and care. Give them a a rich sense of your nearness and grant that they may have peace and joy in their lives through faith in you. Thank you for giving this gift. And we also pray that you would be with our our brother to hope, Lord. Please comfort him. He's not well. Please be a father to him and, and carry him as well. Thank you that that we can bring all these things to you, Lord. You are our Father, and we are your people. We do so with confidence, because we know that you love us, for Jesus' sake. Please also bring us together here again this afternoon, Father. Grant that we can have a blessed Sunday. Pray that you would give us joy and, and fellowship with each other, and that you would grant us your grace, for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning the the mission work, or sorry, the collection is for the mission work in Papua New Guinea. You have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to God at this time. And then after the collection, we're going to sing together the praise of our Savior who's done it for us, hymn 79, the verses 1, 2, 4, and 5. receive now God's blessing. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.